Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Does success scare you? Now, what do you think? Is that kind of a weird question to ask? Does success scare you? Well, frankly, it does to a lot of people. You know, being broke is a whole lot easier to handle for a lot of people than being successful. We're going to talk about that. I got some questions that relate to that. In addition to a whole lot of others, I just want to let you know I'm going to be talking about one of our sponsors today. That is Audible. If you go to audiblepodcast.com slash 48 days, you can get a free book. And I'm going to be making a recommendation for you. Probably a couple of them as we go through today's calls here. Again, that's audiblepodcast.com slash 48 days. Well, a lot is happening in the workplace. Lots happening in the lives of individual people like you and me in the workplace. Some good some not so good, some challenging, some great opportunities. I mean, we find all of those things. And, and as we know, and as we talk about here week after week, I mean, our success is pretty much an inner game. Our success doesn't have a whole lot to do with what the economy is doing or what companies are doing or who's in the White House or in politics in your local town. You know, I don't want to make just blanket statements, but it comes down to what is between our own two ears primarily. So here's some of the questions we'll be looking at today. Dan, I know my true calling, but I can't find the job of my dreams. Now, there's some great wording in that question that we'll have fun unpacking. Dan, should I offer to work for free for three months with my first choice company? Now, that comes out of a historical example that the reader or listener gives. And uh, again, great question. Dan, I believe this is my time to aggressively go after a full-time art career. Well, as I'm recording this, I'm right on the other side of my door is a whole room full of women who are artists and having a blast at it. And frankly, some of them making extraordinary income in doing that. Dan, should I give people what they want or what they need? Wow. I mean, we could park on that one all day long, but I'll, I'll tell you my personal um, experience and what I've done in that. Should I give people what they need or what they want? How about this one? As Christians, when our income increases dramatically, should our lifestyle scale up with that increase? Again, we could write a book about that one. And someone who says, Dan, I feel like I'm on the sideline of a football game ready to go in, but I have no pads, helmet, or playbook. Wow, I love it. Well, here's a quotation. This comes from George Bernard Shaw who said, I dread success. To have succeeded is to have finished one's business on earth like the male spider who is then killed by the female the moment he has succeeded in his courtship. I like the status of continual becoming with a goal in front and not behind. So that's a quotation from George Bernard Shaw. He says, I dread success. So we'll talk about what impact does it have as you are more successful. How does that affect some of your choices, some of the other things you're doing in your life? Now, our out-of-work winner this week is Spencer Mager. Now, Spencer is an artist. We actually have a question from him as well, but he wrote into the out-of-work contest. If you're out of work, you want to tell us 
what you're going to, not just what you're going from. You can give us the details of what you came from, but also I want to know what you're going to. That continues through the end of May. Just send a note to Out of Work, and that address is O-U-T-T-A-W-O-R-K, outofwork at 48days.com. We're Every week we're picking a winner to get the Fresh Start package. That's going to go out to Spencer Mager this week. Congratulations, Spencer. And uh, again, I'm, I'm looking for some options that we could do to respond to everybody who responded to that. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling uneasy with the fact that we just have those notes and letters pouring in without some real response other than arbitrarily choosing one person a week to get a prize package. So, I mean, I didn't have any, I mean, we, we aren't going to spam you or anything, but I, I feel like there ought to be some kind of response uh, other than just uh, that random one person drawing. So hang on. If you submitted something there, you will definitely be getting some kind of response from me in terms of perhaps something we could offer you that would help you in that process. Well, as you know, we got lots of things going on here. Always you're getting a lot of buzz about the Ultimate Advantage Cruise. Now, that's not coming up until February of next year, but it's not too early to be making plans. And we've got a lot of people who have already done that. So we're going to have we're going to have some subgroups on the cruise as well. Dr. Chris McCloskey, who's head of the Professional Christian Counseling Institute, is going to be coming with some of his leadership. They'll be doing some activities for themselves on that cruise. We're going to have a lot of you know open things for anybody who comes. And then there's also going to be some things for one of our mastermind groups that they're going to be doing some specific things. So, I mean, if you'd like to come and, and bring a particular group, affinity group that you're involved in, if you've got an art group and you want to bring everybody in the art group, we can certainly set aside some time that you could meet individually. You can play in tours yourselves. Again, we're going to be leaving from Fort Lauderdale and going down to San Juan, Puerto Rico, and then down to some of the islands, and then back up one week. That's the Ultimate Advantage Cruise. Be delighted to have you join us for that. Well, let me tell you, I'm going to recommend a book right off the bat here. Now, you know that I love books. I mean, I have had such a profound impact in my life as a result of great books. Now, it's one of those things... Well, I, I took, of course, you've heard me talk about Malcolm Gladwell's latest book, David and Goliath. That's not the one I'm going to recommend, although I do recommend that book highly. But it talks so often about the things that we see as disadvantages turn out to be our greatest assets. Here's a quick example. I grew up in a home where because of the religious beliefs and because of poverty, I'm not really sure which was the determining factor here, but with those two combined, legalism and poverty, we had neither TV nor radio in our house. So where most of my friends, you know, were watching the Lone Ranger or whatever they were watching, I didn't do any of that. But because of that, I was drawn to books. Books were my escape to another world. Books were the thing that started planting seeds in my mind that I could have more, be more, do more, go more than what I saw on the farm there in Ohio. It was books. So was that a disadvantage? I don't think so. I mean, books have opened the door to a whole lot of opportunities for me during the, during the course of my life. So I love the impact that books had. And was that a disadvantage when I was a child? Well, in retrospect, I don't really think so. Yeah, was I jealous of my buddies who had TVs that they could sit around and watch? Sure I was. 
But it's one of those things in life we can look back and say, you know what, whereas I thought that was a hardship, it really stimulated something in me that drove me to greater success than what maybe some of those other peers have experienced. I'm sure you've got examples in your own life like that, but you know I love books. Now, I'm going to recommend a book to you, and it's Dave Ramsey's newest book, which I think may be may have more to do with his legacy than anything he's written. I mean, when a guy comes along and writes about principles for financial success, there's a whole lot of people doing that. And a whole lot of people who you wonder, is this really true in their own life? Well, the new book, Smart Money, Smart Kids, Raising the Next Generation to Win with Money, that Dave wrote with his daughter, Rachel, really kind of shares inside the Ramsey household. And I think it is an amazing look into real life application of the principles that Dave talks about. And I immediately got copies for all my kids and a whole lot of other people because I think it ought to be read how to teach kids the smart principles about money so they don't get into trouble. And when you see what happens with so many high school or college graduates come out, they come out with a lot of debt accumulated already, which is a sad story, but then they just simply think that's the American way and they just go on and cripple themselves to ever responding to opportunities to you know, go overseas or travel or do some of the things that they dream about, but then they're not able to do that because they're strapped down to repaying the debt that they've created. It's not just about that. It's just about how to live well make good decisions. But anyway, you can get a free copy of that. If you're not yet a member of Audible, you can get a free copy of Smart Money, Smart Kids, but use this link to do it. This link will take you right to their their site, and then you can put in Smart Money, Smart Kids and get a free copy as an introduction to the program that Audible has. And of course, I encourage you to be a monthly member where you're constantly getting books, especially if you are an audio learner. So go to audiblepodcast.com slash 48 days. Again, that specific link is that is an affiliate link because we drive a lot of people there because I believe in the process. I believe in what the impact is of reading or listening to great books. So again, go to audiblepodcast.com slash 48 days. My recommendation for today is Smart Money, Smart Kids, or David and Goliath, or a host of other things that you'll hear me mention as we go along here. And I read a lot of books, and uh, a lot of those continue to shape my thinking, helping me see new opportunities. Uh, This is not, there's no one book you read that and then you're finished. I mean, unless you're a continual learner, you're going to be being left behind regardless. Again, you don't have to be a reader as I am, but you need to be a listener or go into seminars and workshops, something to help you with your continued learning process. Well, here's a question comes from Lane in Vestal, New York, who says, I'd like your advice on what to do when you have identified your true calling, but you can't find this job of your dreams. Now listen carefully to how she lays this out. In today's job market, the type of job I'm looking for, college writing administration, is very limited. I'm competing with PhDs, and I do not have a PhD, nor can I afford to pay for this type of degree program to be competitive. Well, you've kind of painted yourself into a quarter, Leanne, and so you you have to be realistic about that. If you are looking for a job where there's a very small market for that type of job anyway, and you know 
that the top candidates are going to have a PhD. I mean, we're looking for positions in academic environments, in colleges, universities. Sure, PhDs, I mean, that's one place. That's one place in life, in the real world, where they really do put a high value on degrees, and rightfully so. They're teaching people that you need a degree to get ahead. So uh, it would be hypocritical for them to say, hey, we'll take somebody who has a high school diploma and we'll have them teach a course for us. Now, it's funny, they do break the rules a lot, trust me. I mean, there's a whole lot of college dropouts like Steve Jobs and Richard Branson, Bill Gates and Oprah, people who, in fact, are college dropouts who are invited back, Mark Zuckerberg. I mean, those people are highly esteemed being back into college, but the colleges don't want anybody to know that they, in fact, did not get a degree themselves. My son, Jared, comes back from Africa. He's going to be back here most of the month of June. We're looking forward to that. And uh, he gets invitations to speak at very prestigious universities about some of the things that he's done in developing countries to help build micro enterprises. Uh, Jared was dyslexic, ADD, all those wonderful terms they give children who don't fit nicely in between the lines. And so he never went to college, certainly not a candidate for that. Is he educated? Well, that's another story. Yes, he is because of the things that he's done, taking his own initiative to become educated. But he does get invitations to speak at prestigious colleges and universities, even though he doesn't have a degree himself. However, in answer to your question, Leanne, if you want to get a position in a college, yeah, you're going to have a hard time in that environment. But what you have to look at is what do you have as areas of competence, transferable skills that make you a candidate to get positions other places? Surely a college is not the only place where you could find a perfect position for you. If it is, you've got a catch 22. You really are going to have to at least be on the path to getting a PhD to have any credibility in that environment. But what I would consider encourage you to do is look for opportunities outside the college university environment that would embrace what you want to do. And there's another option as well, because what you said, you've identified your true calling and you can't find this job of your dreams. Now, what is it that I end every on-demand radio broadcast here with what is it that I say at the very end? I say this is a group of people who are finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. If you can't find a job, can you create work that is meaningful, fulfilling, and profitable based on what it is you want to do? Surely you can. Having a traditional job is one tiny, tiny segment. It's the tip of the iceberg of what's available in terms of real work opportunities today. Don't limit yourself just to that. You may, in fact, need to create work rather than trying to find a job that fits what you want to do. Well, this comes from Tasman, who says, Dan, I'm currently working through the 48 Days Countdown. I'm now at the point where I sent out introduction letters to the 30 companies that I feel are a good fit. If some of the said companies already have job openings posted on their website, should I still send an intro, resume, cover letter, etc. on the timeline given in the book? My wife and I took your advice and decided where we wanted to live first, confident that opportunities are available for our skills and abilities. Since I'm moving across state lines, Louisiana to Texas, and have only another 50 days before I move, I thought I'd like to know what you recommend. Well, thanks for your question. Here's the deal. Now, if you've read 48 Days to the Work You Love, you know that I put very little value on responding to job postings. 
So if said companies already have job openings posted, you've missed your window of opportunity. There's going to be anybody, when you apply for that position, there's going to be 3,000 other people who apply as well, and most of those are going to have better credentials and degrees and work experience than you. I mean, it's just a natural part of the game. So you've missed your window of opportunity. If you are identifying those 30 to 40 companies before they did a job posting for a particular opportunity, that's where you uncover the 87% of the hidden job market that's out there. 87% of the jobs are never advertised, promoted, and any kind of posting or listing anywhere. A lot of reasons for that. I'm addressing a lot of that in the, the upcoming revision of 48 Days to the Work You Love, but... What you need to do is don't have many of those 30 companies where you're responding to just job postings because you'll become convinced nobody's hiring, the economy is bad, and all that garbage that people believe when they're using an improper job search. So you want to make sure that you are having fresh approach to companies that have not yet posted a position. And in that, then you should go through the three-step process that I outlined so clearly in 48 Days to the Work You Love. Intro letter then the resume cover letter, then the phone follow-up. Yes. Now, if somebody already has a posting, sure, then just go ahead and respond to the posting, but recognize, you know, you aren't going to get much traction with that. That's not where your emphasis should be. Mark says, hey, I love this question. Napoleon Hill got hired on his first job out of business college with a company of his choice by sending a letter. This letter stated that because the experience would be more valuable to Hill than the company, that he would pay for the privilege of working for them at any rate they stated for three months, as long as that rate of pay would become his salary. Now, you got to think that through a little bit to figure this out. So let's say that he, we'll just use an hourly figure. It'll make it easier to calculate than an annual income figure. So let's say that he thinks that he's worth $20 an hour. So he's going to work for them for three months and he's going to pay them $20 an hour. So that's going to be uh, 20, that's going to be $800 a week, you know, $3,200 a month. So we're essentially talking about, you know, $40,000 a year position. So he's saying that he's going to pay them $20 an hour for the privilege of working there for three months. So he really learns what he needs to do to be of value to the company. But if they then agree at the end of three months that he is valuable, then he expects to be repaid for that initial money that he agreed to pay them. He expects them to be repaid out of the money that they will be paying him. So he'll pay for the privilege, but that means going forward, if he is paid then $800 a week, he may repay $100 a week back to the company. So it's a very ingenious kind of proposal. I mean, what do you think a company would say with that? Well, Mark is asking, I understand the net result of this transaction is an unpaid inter internship, but could one place this offer in a letter of introduction and get better upper mind positioning on an entry level job? Well, I think it's a great tactic to use, Mark. I mean, it's delightful. I, I love that kind of ingenuity. What happens in today's environment? Well, how do most job seekers approach positions out there. They show up and say, I want you to guarantee me $40,000 a year and I want three weeks vacation and I want a company car and I want a 401k contribution and medical benefits. And I want all that guaranteed in writing before the first day I start. That's pretty tough for a company to put themselves on the line like that. And yet that's what most job seekers want. 
It, it's like standing in front of the wood stove of life, which is another Napoleon Hill example, and saying, give me heat, and as soon as you give me heat, then I'll put in a little wood. Or a farmer who stands out in front of a field and says, Lord, you know, give me a great crop of corn this year, and next year I'll actually plant some seeds. Well, life doesn't work like that. Nature doesn't work like that. So it's not unusual at all to make a different proposal for a work arrangement where you say, I'll work here for free. And then if I prove my value to you, I mean, that's a great setup. Yeah, I I love it. Go ahead and make it happen. Let us know how that works. Well, this comes from Ben Eubanks, who is a, um, he's in a staffing agency and he ran across a funny story and I won't go through the whole thing, but in, in essence, what happened, and this is a real story, what happened is an employer with whom they had set up an interview. So they're sending a candidate out on an interview. Let's say the guy's name is Bill. The company calls and says, well, Bill never showed up. Well, you know, that happens in staffing agencies. So they call Bill and say, hey, what's up with that? And he says, man, he said, I accidentally walked into the wrong company. I know I was close, but I walked into the wrong company, told him I was there for an interview. They asked me what I was interviewing for. And I said, I'm here for the programmer position, wrong company, wrong front desk. But the company scrambled, got him connected with somebody because they did need people in programming. And he ended up interviewing at the wrong company, wrong place, and got a job offer on a, on a spot. And he's going to start next week. <laughs> now, that's a hilarious story, but it, it lends itself to recognizing, yeah, geez, you think the economy is bad? He said this, Ben says this story came out of Detroit. I mean, in Detroit, they're desperate for people to work there. And he said, but it just gives kind of a shout out to how, what the work market is like. The guy went to the wrong company. They interviewed him anyway and offered him a job. I mean, how cool is that? Well, lots of stories like there, like that that are out there. Hey, just just a quick reminder here, just uh, so you know, if you got a question, if you're a first-time listener, hey, we welcome you in, by all means. This is the 48 Days On Demand radio show every week, where I take real-life questions from people like you and me, who are out there in the trenches doing cruel things, and uh, we unpack those questions here together, looking for principles that will help us all move up in our own level of success. But anyway, if you got a question, you can just go to the48days.com site. Click on the podcast link. You'll see an opportunity there to submit your question, either writing it out or leaving it verbally. If you want to use that little feature, you can, or you can just simply send an email to askdan at 48days.com. Well, this is a question from Spencer. I mentioned him earlier as the winner of our Fresh Start package this week, but he also asked a question. He says, I'm a fine artist in my early 50s. Recently laid off from a 27-year career at a local manufacturer, I believe this is my time to aggressively go after a full-time art career. It's commonplace for friends and acquaintances to share with me great photographs they've taken of them while hiking or horseback riding, thinking they would make a good subject matter for me to paint. This is my question. Would it be considered exploiting a friendship to paint a picture from one of these photos with the motivation to then get the friend to buy the painting? Frankly, I've done this in the past without a sales pitch. I just let them see the finished work, typically on Facebook. Book up. Occasionally they will buy. Often they have no problem letting me know it's nice, but no thank you. So here's the deal. If somebody gives you a photograph and says, hey, this may be some inspiration for you to paint and you paint something. If they don't want it, can you then put it on the open market? Well, I happen to have 
a whole building full of artists here, Spencer. So I went out there and picked their brains real quick. I said, hey, what do you guys think? Well, some of them are very experienced in the legalities of copyright issues, those kind of things for artists. And artists are very well protected. Here's kind of a similar thing. If you see, well, if you see a famous photograph or a famous painting and you duplicate that, you make your own painting, you know, can you do that? If you take a celebrity, you know, if you see Michelle Obama somewhere, a photo, and you do a rendering of that photo, or you just out of your head, just draw that photo of Michelle Obama. Can you then just put that on the open market? Well, there, there've been a lot of, this is a very gray area, no question about it, but there's going to be one defining thing that I'm going to use to clarify what you're asking about here, Spencer. But for the most part, I mean, if, if I hear Bill Clinton doing an interview on NPR, that is copyrighted instantly. That's copyrighted material. I can't take that recording, put it into something of my own and sell it in the same way. You know, if somebody writes something in a book or if it's a newspaper article or magazine, whatever, I mean, that's copyrighted material. I can't just take that word for word and reproduce it. Paintings are a little bit different, but the real critical issue here, according to my legal expert artist, is if the person is giving you permission. If the person is giving you permission, that really opens the door. You can pretty much do whatever you want to do. But I pose the question, you know, if somebody sees a photo of Joanne and me standing out here next to Athena, the new bronzed eagle that we talk about, and they do a painting of that, you know, do, is that just open territory? Well, it's kind of questionable. You really should get permission. But if the person gives you permission to use their photo as the basis of a painting that you do, now paintings aren't exact. You may use it as just kind of a thematic overview and go off on your own way you may have 10 horses in the picture instead of one i mean that really kind of pushes you away from any kind of legal issue but the real issue is if you're using something that is clearly based on a photo if you had that person's permission so we'll go with that and i, I told them they, they told me that there is a book that deals with the legalities in the art world and i'm going to find that i'll get a copy of the book and try to be more knowledgeable about that because it's a growing area of concern as more and more people are in fact getting involved in the art arena and we need to know how to do it properly i mean it's like it's like using music clips in podcast it's a really gray area Technically, you need to have permission. You need to pay a licensing fee. But in reality, when you use a 10-second clip, it's such a tiny issue that record companies don't want to deal with it. They pretty much just turn their back on you. Now, the opening music that I use, the Bachman Turner Overdrive, Taking Care of Business, I have a licensing agreement with Sony for that. I pay a month or an annual fee for using that particular thing. And if you're going to use something consistently like that, yeah, you better believe it. You'll put yourself on a bullseye if you don't have permission or some kind of licensing for that. And I could give you some other examples of people whose names you would recognize who find themselves in that position. But uh, yeah, that's so there's a lot of gray area here, but there are also some clear guidelines we want to stay inside of if we are authors, writers, speakers, artists, musicians, those kind of people in this wonderful space that we get to operate in. Well, this question comes from Sean who says, 
Now, this, this is a really fun question, the way that it ends up, and I'm going to give you my personal experience, but he says, my question is about starting my own business. Should I be looking at current established roles and in industries and finding my edge to compete within the current marketplace? For example, real estate agent, wedding DJ, photographer, et cetera, areas that I know people need and value and pay money for, or should I be looking at unmet needs and creating a brand new solution? I've got plenty of ideas for niche sites or business services, but I'm afraid of going full steam down ahead, down a dead end path. I believe I can succeed in whatever I decide, but the decision right now is the hardest part. I'd love to get your input. So the real question here, Sean, and I love this question. This is a biggie. I mean, we, yesterday I had a brainstorming group, had seven other guys here all day long. We started early, went till very late and we were just brainstorming sharing challenges in our own businesses, uh, tips and ideas, things that have been very successful for us. We had an all-day brainstorming session, and this came up. Did Steve Jobs just give people what they wanted, or was he innovative in terms of educating people about something they didn't even know they needed? Well, he, he kind of did both. I mean, he didn't create a lot of new technology, but he made things really cool really efficient, really fun to have. He created that kind of experience that went with it in his own introduction. So he did kind of both, but we can look back in history and very clearly see people that went one direction or another. Henry Ford. Now this is a quotation and it's dubious whether he actually said it or not, but it's attributed to him. So we're going to go with that just to make a point. But Henry Ford said, if I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Now think about that. In that day and time, people weren't begging for cars. Nobody knew cars were a possibility. So if they wanted more efficient transportation, it's how can we hybrid horses perhaps and get faster horses. But then he came along with the car as a totally alternative method of transportation. And you know the rest of that story. So there's certainly a place for innovation. No question about it. Personally, I think it takes a whole lot longer if you introduce something people are not used to. If Here's an example. If you in the United States 80 years ago said, I'm going to open a pizza place. I mean, I traveled over to Italy. I experienced this thing they call pizza. It's like a flat piece of bread with some other stuff thrown on there, tomatoes and cheese and pepperoni and so on. I'm going to introduce that here. People would say, are you crazy? I'm not going to eat that thing. Because they need to be educated. They need to have time to experience it today. Sure. Can you open up a pizza place? Absolutely. It doesn't matter that they already have, you know, Papa John's and Little Little Caesars and Pizza Hut and all the places that we have. All you have to do is do something 10% better and you can rock and roll with that. Knock it out of the park financially and what you're going to do. So it's way easier to do something that people are already familiar with. And in that sense, you're going to lean toward giving people something that they need, something they say they want. I really have done that. I love innovation. I love things that have never been done before, but I have focused my business almost exclusively on giving people what they want. 48 days to the work you love. I had no intention of being an author, being writing a book. I was teaching a Sunday school class and people started asking for the information I want to be able to share that information with my son-in-law who's been without work. Gee, I've got a next door neighbor who's struggling. I want to give him something that he can read. It was the things you just talked to us about. I didn't have anything. People kept asking. 
Now, one of the things that has worked extremely well for me in my business is that if three people ask me the same question, I create a product to provide the answer. And I can give you lots and lots of examples, but here are just a few. So with 48 Days to the Work You Love, it was exactly that. People were asking for it. They needed it. I simply gave them what they were already asking for. Then I had people saying, I'm not sure I want another typical J-O-B. I want to take an idea and put legs on it. Wow. Guess what my next book was? No More Mondays. It's exactly that. It's how to be more entrepreneurial, non-traditional, and creative. How to take your ideas and really do something with those. And then people said, I'm not even sure I know what my passion is. You know, you talk about that. You need to follow your passion and the money will follow. I'm not sure I know what that is. Gee, did you ever hear of my book, Wisdom Meets Passion? People were asking for it. And there's the answer. Coaching with excellence, people were asking me, how can I do what you've done with coaching? I want to be a coach. Can I be a coach? And I finally said, you know what? Let's just have a couple day event here. We'll call it coaching with excellence. And people show up time after time after time, giving people what they've been asking for. Coaching mastery to take people to a higher level in their coaching to really develop robust, viable, profitable businesses. Coaching mastery. That's exactly what we do. Innovate. How can I take my creative skills? I'm a musician. I'm an artist. I'm a sculptor. How can I take those skills and really create income? Is it possible? Come to innovate. That's what we address. The mastermind course that I talk about came out as, as a result of a mastermind group that I was in. People kept asking about, can I be in it? I say, no, but you ought to start your own. Gee, how do I do that? Well, a lot of people ask me that. So I put that course together and we're rocking and rolling with that now. The mastermind course. But it's just responding to things that people have been asking for. So in response to your question, Sean, I think it's a whole lot easier starting a business to do something that already has a track record. You find something that really lines up with your passion, your interest, your affinity, your areas of transferable competence. Yes, but something that's already being done, just do it a little better. That's a great model for success. A great question. Well, Don says, Dan, I read somewhere that a great way to boost your potential was to picture yourself as already having success and working backward in your mind, imagining how you got there from where you currently are. To that end, I started setting some money aside for little luxuries, things that are small things I can afford now, like fresh berries and fruit for breakfast and handmade organic soaps. This technique seems to work as I feel richer just by having them and they keep me optimistic. How important would you say imaginative visualization is in planning your future? Thanks, Dan. I love the show. I love the 48 Days community. Don, I love your question. You are, you are on top of a really important principle. I mean, we get to success by leading with the things that we see, imagine, believe in, in our mind. It doesn't show up and force us then to change our beliefs. If you believe that you're going to be broke the rest of your life and drive an old crappy car, guess what? You just set the stage for what your reality is going to be. I mean, people do, in fact, tend to live out what they expect. People tend to, even if people are looking for a job, and I see this played out all the time, somebody is used to making that $40,000 we talked about, so they're looking for a new job. You know what they'll look for? Something that's between 30 and 50. What if there is an opportunity that comes along that perfectly fits them, that leverages everything that we know about their preparation and positioning, and it pays $80,000? You know what happens? They don't apply for it 
because they don't see themselves in that arena. I mean, the same principle is true when we see these NFL football players, you know, come out of the ghetto and they get a $10 million bonus. And six months later, they're broken in jail. They pushed their reality back to match how they really saw themselves in sense of deserving. So when you see yourself, Don, as deserving those little luxuries, it does move you forward. It does start to set the stage for opening the door to more and more of those things. Great example. Yeah, I love love what you're talking about there. Okay, here's one too. <laughs> I'd love to just park on this one all day long. This comes from Dan in Madison, Wisconsin. His question, as Christians, when our income increases dramatically, should our lifestyle scale with that increase? He says, Dan, I just finished reading your 48 days book. I've been listening to your podcast for a few months now. My current income level is on par with the average American, and I'm trying to think more like the financial rich, as you recently covered. One question I had was, how do you feel about the idea that as your income grows, so does the cost of your lifestyle? I hear many of your listeners talk about getting well-paying jobs, 100000 plus, and I don't know if they are now just giving more and maintaining their previous lifestyle or if everyone is upgrading to Mercedes and the $500,000 house. I try not to begrudge them for their success, but I still question if the extra money they make just goes to more expensive stuff. Well, here's another book recommendation, top of the list, Thou Shall Prosper by Rabbi Daniel Lappin. And Thou Shall Prosper, again, you can go to that audiblepodcast.com slash 48 days, and I'm sure you can get an audio version of Thou Shall Prosper. It is the most balanced biblical view of money that I've ever seen and talks about the responsibility that we have as stewards of talents that God has given us to continue to produce and be productive, even if that leads to financial success that goes beyond our, our personal needs. Now let's just unwind this a little bit. I love this question because it comes up again and again and again in our culture. The mentality is that you just stretch, stretch yourself financially. So, Yeah, you're already living beyond your means. You can't repay what you already have in credit cards and student loan debt. And so you really need to get a job that pays 65,000 rather than 50, just to maintain the minimums of what you're doing. Dealing with a gentleman just this week, we were going through uh, the fact that he really needs to generate $13,000 a month just to break even. That's it. We've got to figure out ways for him to go beyond that. $13,000 a month is just his break-even point. But our whole mentality is built on what do I need just to meet my own needs? Now, what does retirement mean? What does retirement imply? Well, you know what that implies. Retirement implies, guess what? I have enough money stashed away or coming in monthly to take care of my personal needs. I can unplug and I don't need to do anything anymore. I can just golf or fish or sit and watch my navel, you know, watch the stars go by because I have enough money for my own needs. And I think I can stretch it out until the day I die. Is that an appealing prospect? Is that a godly 
proposition? I would hope to say you scream no to both of those. It is neither of those. It's not healthy in any way. People who retire under those circumstances, who know they have enough money to take care of themselves, if they don't have a purpose for continued productive living, they usually die within six months. Life doesn't have any meaning if we don't have a purpose for getting up. And if your purpose, if your talent lends itself to making a lot of money, then by golly, you need to continue making a lot of money. This is not about just meeting your own basic needs. And it's certainly not about just spending everything that you have as your income goes up. I mean, please don't do that. You ought to be able to find the real question of what somebody's values are is to know that they have more money than they need and to see how they live then. If in fact, all they do is just elevate their level of living yeah, they're, they're selfish. They're, you ought to, at some point, become a funnel. The Old Testament talks about blessed to be a blessing. You ought to become a funnel through which those blessings can flow. Now, I'll give you a couple personal examples here of in my own life, for whatever it's worth. When we bought our current home, we've been here for almost 14 years now. People who have been here, you know, it's laid out with the sanctuary in the backside and all that. But our house itself, we've lived there for 14 years. When we were ready to buy that house, and frankly, I was coming out of a really tough financial chapter in my life, but things had started to go well. You know, I had a couple books out that were doing well and so on. So we went and we pre-qualified with a mortgage company. And I'll never forget this conversation. So we pre-qualified so we would be able to go out and you know, know that that piece was taken care of. And they came back and said, yeah, you can buy a house. And frankly, what they told us, you know, we could buy a house in the $750,000, $800,000 range. And I said, well, that's fine, but we don't need that. It's just Joanne and me. Our children are grown. We don't need anything like that. We want something in the country. It's something that's a peaceful place for us to think and write, have our grandkids come and hang out. We don't need anything like that. And the mortgage guy was just kind of blown away. He said, well, what do you mean? I mean, that's what we do. We identify the max that you can get, and then you get the max because that's what we do in America. He didn't say that, but that's the, the message. I mean, that's what we do. We stretch the very max. I said, well, that's fine. You know, that's nice to know it's available, but we won't be needing that. And we purchased our house. And we paid $220,000. We love our house. We've done some little fun things to it as we go along to make it personalized. But what that also allowed was a couple years later, we had an opportunity to purchase the property behind us, another five acres, and that's where the sanctuary is. Now, if we had really stretched to the max, we wouldn't have been able to do anything. But we had all kinds of flexibility because we hadn't done that. And so we were able then to add this piece and make a wonderful place for people to come and experience a setting of peace like many have never experienced before. I mean, that's, that's just one example. I mean, I, I, I'm not interested. We have identified the lifestyle that we want totally independent of what our current income is. That being said, if I have the ability to continue generating income and we keep discovering new opportunities to do better and better in that regard, no, it doesn't change. Joanne still uses coupons. She watches for the sale dates at Kohl's and Macy's. We split a dinner when we go out. 
You know, we're not wasteful. I mean, it's not changing our lifestyle. So the answer to your question, Dan, and a great question is, no, there ought to be a point at which you understand this is a reasonable lifestyle for us. Now, you can make cases for a lot of things, and I'm sure some people would see us as extravagant. But here's another example. I drive nice cars. You hear me talk about the cars that I drive. I love really nice cars. And I've always driven nice cars. But here's the deal. Because I understand cars, I buy cars where I can then drive them for a year and sell them and get my money back. So if I'm driving a Mercedes 500 SL convertible and somebody thinks, oh, geez, that's easy for you to do, you know, drive that fancy car. I'm thinking you got to be kidding me. This car costs me less than the Ford Focus that you're driving because you went in and committed to, you know, car payments and have a car that's worth less the day that you buy it. I don't do that. I buy cars where they have more value than what I paid for them so I can drive them for a year, sell them to make money. I've done that years and years and years and years. I can drive any kind of car I want, but it's because I'm very careful in the purchase of the car. I have never had a car payment in my life, so I can buy it, get a great deal, drive it, sell it, and get money, and just simply roll the, that money back into another car of my choosing. Those are the kind of things that you ought to be doing as good steward of your money as you get more. So you're not just becoming just higher consumption where you're just burning through more. No, but you really are managing well what you have so you can live a life that's admirable and as a good steward of what you have. Wow. Well, I've got a whole bunch of questions here. You know, one of the things I ought to throw out real quickly, somebody said in your podcast, you mentioned you were interested in creating an event similar to Bonnaroo. Well, yeah, I've mentioned doing something for the 48days.net community. I want to really uh, kind of ramp up the activity there. There's tons and tons of interactions going on, conversations at any given time on there. Thanks for being part of that amazing group, 48days.net as it grows, but I want to be more intentional about creating community there. There are some things that I'm going to be doing. I shared this with my brainstorming group yesterday, got some great input. We're going to be ramping up some of the interactions here. I'm going to tap on the shoulder, some of the group leaders and have them be leading weekly discussions for the entire community. So bring people to the forefront who have already shown leadership and have them do an open call for the entire 14,000 member community. I'm going to start doing uh, the suggestion of one of my brainstorming buddies, a monthly fireside chat. Now I'm going to come up with another name for that. I'd welcome your input on what it ought to be called. I mean, that goes back to one of the previous presidents who used to do a fireside chat. Sounds kind of warm and fuzzy and I, I want that, but I'll probably be sitting by next to one of our Eagles or something to do my chat. So it won't be fireside, but, but just a short video every month, at least one of those, just to kind of give people a state of the union update on what's happening, where opportunities are, what we're seeing as new things that people are getting involved in going to be doing all of that so thanks for your input on that again love the love the opportunity to do what we're doing there well again just to kind of wrap up if you can't find the job of your dreams create the work of your dreams on some of the other things you know should i give people what they want or what they need great question great thing to look at Again, I think it's a quicker path to be successful financially to give people what they want, but I love the process of giving people what they need. Just recognize it's going to take some time 
to educate them on why they need it. And then when your income increases dramatically as a good steward of that, do you just keep increasing your lifestyle? I'd love your input on that as well. I gave it a very quick kind of overview based on my own personal experience, but you may have a different perspective. Love to hear that as well. Shoot your questions in to askdan at 48days.com. Thanks for being part of this amazing group that we've got here. And as I said earlier, yeah, this is a group does things differently. Hey, we dream big, but we make big things happen as well. I love the stories about the new successes that people are experiencing. So thanks for being part of this community where we, in fact, are finding or creating work that is meaningful, fulfilling, purposeful, and profitable. Don't settle for less.